didn't put on any football pads. And I didn't, I was drinking Gatorade. I was just not doing anything, you know. Uh, I have a jersey, but it didn't get dirty, you know. Like, uh, I didn't spend a moment on the football field. But I still understand that if they win, we won. And do you want to know something today? I got the best news for you. The moment you woke up this morning, I want you to know that you're on a winning team. Come on, you didn't die on the cross. You weren't put up on the cross. Your hands weren't pierced. Your feet weren't pierced. But do you know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and they put him in the grave and he came up on the third day, that when he won, come on, I won. I can say with total confidence, yeah, we won, yeah. We have won a great victory. I am not defeated. I am not a loser. I am not depressed. I don't have to succumb to anxiety. Come on. Jesus has beat every demon in hell. He's defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's defeated every sin for habit. He's defeated every addiction. Come on. He's broken every generational curse. The moment that Jesus, the moment that that stone rolled away, and Jesus came out of that tomb triumphant. I can say for the rest of my life, I've won. I've won. I've won. And you know, when we gather together like this, when we worship, worship is so important because in the middle of worship, here's the only thing I'm trying to do. When I worship God and I worship him out of gratitude and in faith, the only thing I'm trying to do is to give God the home court advantage while he's in the room. Come on, because there are people who walk in every week. There are people who walk in and I can't assume, we can't assume that just because we're all in church that we're all free from everything or life is always perfect. And some people walked in this morning and they feel sad, they feel down. But right now, we just break that stronghold of depression off of your life. We believe that, come on, as a family, as a church, that when Paul and Silas begin to worship, it's not just their prison cells that fly open. But every single prisoner in the entire jail, all of their prison doors begin to what? Fly open because worship is released in the house. And what we do when we worship is we give God a home court advantage because you may have been fighting against all types of enemies and fighting against spiritual darkness this week, but in this moment, we want you to remember that there is freedom, that there is peace, that you're not defeated, that you're not a victim, that you're more than a conqueror, that you are an overcomer because of the blood of Jesus. Come on, that God is fighting for you, that greater is he that lives in you than he that's within the world. And the Bible says that I can do all things. Come on, not some things, not the things that maybe I feel like doing. No, no, no. I can do all things through Christ, not through Manny, but through Christ who gives me strength. And uh, I want you to remember today, man, when, when, when your team wins, you win. You know God's undefeated. You know he's undefeated. He's got a perfect record. He's undefeated. I was, uh, I was, I was, I like to go on double dates. I told the story on Friday night. I love going on double dates. You know, me and my wife, we, you know, find two other couples at our church. And, you know, I love going on double dates. But I don't like to just go eat, you know. I like competitive double dates. Anybody, any competitive people in the room today? Like, I like competitive double dates. And so me and my wife, we'll pick anything. I mean, we'll do anything. Miniature golfing, bowling, we'll, we'll do anything. And so we were going on this double date with, with a couple from our church, Manny and Vicky 
Howard. You know, the Howards versus the Orangos, and we decided we're going to go bowling. And so because I'm competitive, I had to have a little pep talk with my wife before we left for the bowling alley. You know, I called into the room and said, hey, hey, champ, come here. Hey, champ, just come over here. You know, okay, now, I know we've been saying this is a double date, and you may have gotten the wrong impression that this is going to be fun. Uh, there is no fun here. Uh, our, our job is to beat their faces into the ground, right? Like, right, like we're, we're, we got to protect our name. We are Arangos. We don't lose. We only win. And, she, you know, my, my wife, she's awesome, but she's like, you know, you're taking the fun out of it. Like, I don't even want to go with you anymore. Like, you're putting all this pressure on me, you know, da 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 And so I said, hey, hey, I need you to walk into that bowling alley with your game face on. You're not playing around. It's no games, all right? I'm not trying to lose my street cred because I've lost, you know, to, to the Howards in this, this bowling match. So we go bowling, you know what I'm saying? And, and I thought my pep talk worked. You know, I thought, you know, she was ready. And, and, and then I saw, you know, you know, we start bowling. Woo! It was terrible. It was terrible. My wife is the worst bowler I've ever seen. I mean, I, I, and, and, and so, of course, you know, my wife, she's bowling. We're, we're, we're three or four frames in, and, and my wife is going at it. And, and I'm just like, hey, hey, champ. Come here. Uh, hey, champ, time, time out, time out. Um, you know, I saw a couple times, you know, I know you're, my wife is ambidextrous. You know, she can use her right hand. She can use her left hand. And so I called her over. I said, hey, hey, champ, um, a couple times I saw you used your right hand. A couple times I saw you used your left hand. We must choose this day whom we will serve. You know, we, we can't be double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We got to, we got to, like, you can't be lukewarm. You know, you got to either use your right hand or your left hand. I need you. Come on, game face. Game face. And my wife was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. I, this is not fun. You know, my wife's just complaining, you know. And so the crazy thing is, I thought that my little pep talk was going to help her bowl better. Nope. What, I, what was terrible got even worse. And I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't think that it could get any worse, but it got worse. And, and at one point, her bowling ball ended up in someone else's lane. I didn't even know bowling balls could bounce. I, she, you know, she threw it down there like a football, and, and it just hopped over the thing, and I had to go apologize. You know, I'm, hey, I'm sorry, you know. My wife, you know. This is terrible, you know. The other couple is starting to put it on Instagram. You know, they're holding their phones, they're recording, you know, what's happening. And so, of course, again, I'm like, hey, hey, champ. Champ, come here. I was like, hey, uh, I don't think you understand what's at stake here, you know. This is a serious thing. And I see, you know, you're like, you know, you're kind of laughing and joking with Vicki Howard. And I don't know why you're laughing and joking with her because she's beating you right now, you know. And I, I'm, I'm giving her this pep talk. And I'm like, you know, there's a couple times you took two steps and then you released and, a couple times you took four steps, and then you really, I'm like, you know, 
what are we going to do? And she's just like, I just need you to leave me alone, right? And every time I had a pep talk, she just got worse and worse and worse. And so I was scared to look at the score. Like, I was nervous about looking at the score. I just didn't know what to expect. And so finally, I looked at the score. We're like, you know, eight frames in. Like, we only got two frames left. And I look at the score. And to my pleasant surprise and utter shock, we're winning. We were winning. I couldn't believe it. Like, I didn't know that we were winning because I was so scared to look at the score. It's almost kind of like when you don't know how much money's in your bank account and you just kind of swipe in faith. No, it's just me. Okay, never mind. Never mind. It's just me. Okay. <laughs> I have swiped in faith a couple times. Um, <laughs> and I, it's like I looked at the score, and I couldn't figure out how we were winning because I'm just I'm dumbfounded as to how in the world we are winning. And you know what's crazy? I started to add up Manny and Vicky's score, and then I just added up my score alone, and I was winning for us. My individual score was more than the combined score of Manny and Vicki Howard. I realized that I had won for us. I realized that I had won for us. At that point, I stopped with the pressure. I stopped with the pep talks. I stopped trying to get her to bowl better, and I realized that the only thing that would make me lose is if she got so frustrated by my pressure that she forfeited the game. The only thing that would make me lose is if my wife got frustrated and left. I needed a teammate to even win. Even though I had all the scores I needed, I still needed a teammate to actually win the game. So at this point, I started cheering for my wife. You go, girl. <laughs> Throw it down there. <laughs> Bend it like Beckham. I don't care what you do. <laughs> do whatever you got to do. So I was just cheering for her. And do you know why God can cheer for you? Oh, God cheers for you even while we're dysfunctional, even when we're not perfect, even in our frailties, even when we're losing, because God realizes God has won for us. God doesn't need me to bowl a perfect score. All he needs from me is my constant participation. And there's someone in the room who feels like, man, I feel like giving up and I don't feel like walking with the Lord anymore because this isn't working out for me. And I feel like, man, I'm letting God down. And I want to speak to you today because you're not letting God down. God has already won a victory for you. All he needs you to do is not walk out on him. All he needs you to do is not give up. This is the God that says, hey, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect, not in your strengths, but only in your weaknesses. This is the God that says, baby, I have won for us. I've won for us. Our human pride likes to win for ourselves, though. Oh, can we be real? And if I can't, if I didn't come with any other message for you today, you can get on Instagram after this. Well, not really, but <laughs> I want to remind you that you are not defeated. Come on. Christ has won for you. He's won. 
And this relationship that we have with Jesus is a relationship where we are utterly dependent upon him. We're not independent beings. We're dependent upon a God who has done everything for us. This is a God that says that I got young people in my youth group and they're like, you know, they'll do dumb stuff. And they're like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's funny. You know, I stopped going to church and then my life got crazy. And I'm like, yeah, that's like saying you stopped breathing and you passed out. <laughs> Duh, of course. Of course. You, what? You know, I can't, I can't live right without him. I can't. But there's this little voice of pride in us that wants to say, come on, if anybody's ever babysat like a two-year-old or like a little kid, and they're like learning how to do things, right, and they want to like tie their own shoes, and you're kind of like just have to watch them like mess it up, right? And then you have to go behind them and like tie them, tie the shoes for them, right? Because there's something in us that wants to be what? Independent, that wants to do it ourselves. We want to DIY everything. But I want to let you know this one thing. You can't DIY salvation. You can't do it yourself, salvation. A relationship with God is a relationship where you say, I'm totally dependent upon this God. I'm dependent upon him for the air that I breathe. I'm dependent upon him for every move that I make. I'm dependent upon his guidance, upon his wisdom. If I don't keep in step with him, I may, may, I may make the wrong decision. I'm not wise in my own strength. I'm not powerful in my own strength. You know what? I'm only dependent upon this God. He's my constant life source. And this is the God who's won for me. And uh, that has nothing to do with my sermon, so all right. Let's go to James chapter 1. Let's read the Bible. The Bible's a good thing to read. That was just like an introduction. That was just me saying hello. <laughs> James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1, we're going to read verse 2 all the way to verse 4. James chapter 1, verse 2 all the way to verse 4. It says this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great, oh, one more time, consider it an opportunity for great joy. joy. Uh, next verse. For you know that when your faith is, your endurance has a chance to, I love that, verse four. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Uh, uh, the NIV says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I want to talk about that word face today. We're going to go to one more passage of scripture. It's in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to go to verse 22. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 says this, one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the... So they got into a boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. I love this. Jesus settles down for a nap. But soon, a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging. Suddenly the stopped and all was. Then he asked them, this is a pivotal question, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the winds 
and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your presence in this room. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is a mighty double-edged sword. God, help me to wield that sword today with power, authority, and clarity. God, I ask that no flesh would glory in your presence. And God, that no one would remember today that there was a guest speaker, but they would remember that your word came forth with power. They would remember that your presence was in the room. God, bless this awesome church and bless our time together in these next remaining minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together. Amen. I, I love this story that we find here, uh, and it says that the, the disciples are on a boat, and they're, they're going to a destination, and while they're on the boat, Jesus falls asleep on their boat. I love this, um, because I don't know if your theology has room for this, but my theology has room for this, because there are times and moments in my life where I feel like Jesus has fallen asleep on my boat. And conveniently enough, he falls asleep while a storm is happening. This is wide awake when everything's going fine. And then when things go badly, Jesus is knocked out. Nowhere to be found. Has anybody ever prayed and got no answer? Come on, can we be real in church? Can we just be real in church? Has anybody ever like prayed and prayed and prayed? And it's like the more you pray, the less you hear. Like, and, and, and I love this because Jesus falls asleep. On the boat, I, I have teenagers in my youth group, and I love our teenagers. But one of the things about our teenagers is that um, they can fall in love with people in like three weeks. I don't understand how this is possible. I get on them all the time because, you know, a girl in our youth group will come up to me like, oh, my God, Pastor Manny, I love Jamal. I'm like, Jamal, okay, you love Jamal. Um, how long have you known Jamal? A month. Oh, you love Jamal, and you know him for a month. The thing about our teenagers is they have this odd ability to text message each other. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you know this. Uh, they text each other, and they can text each other all day, every day, nonstop. And their method of communication is so fast that they don't realize that the way to build real relationship is slower than the method of communication that they use. And so because they're able to stay in contact all day long, they start learning about each other at a rate that is actually not healthy. Most of our teenagers, if you're a teenager in the room, I'm sorry, but you think you have intimacy with someone, but intimacy cannot be found in a microwave. The only thing that can produce intimacy is a crock pot. The thing that can produce real, lasting relationship and covenant is when you go slow with somebody, when you take it all the way slow. I can remember... I, I, when I was young, I said I would never say this. I would never say, I remember when. I, I, I vowed that I would never say it. And now, you know, I'm like 31 years old. I'm hanging out with 15-year-olds. And I find myself saying on a consistent basis, I remember when. I remember when you had to get someone's phone number. That phone number uh, was, was linked you to an actual phone that was in a house that was like bolted to a wall. I remember when I wasn't allowed to even pick up the phone. So if I gave someone my number and they called, my parents would answer. I remember having to get girls' phone numbers and calling them 
and having their father answer the phone. Hey, this is Mr. Martin. Who's this? Um, um, this is, um, Manny, um, I, uh, was gonna ask, uh, Melissa for some homework help, uh, you know. I remember, I remember, I remember having to actually call a real home and ask permission from a real parent to talk to a real daughter. But that's not how our teenagers are communicating. And because they're communicating in a way that is faster than the way that we build real relationship, they can fall in and out of love with people and their hearts get broken. And it's really sad because I can remember when me and my wife were in college and there was no Wi-Fi. I had an ethernet cord plugged into my laptop. I can remember me and my wife, we exchanged email addresses. And we had been dating all through, we were dating in college, and we were away from each other for the summer, and every morning she would write me an email. But I couldn't check the email. When she wrote it, she was on her way to work, and I was on my way to work, and I had no Wi-Fi at work. I had no smartphone. I had a Nokia. No, anybody remember Nokia? Anybody remember? Anybody, anybody remember when, like, Blackberries were like, oh, yeah. I made it, right? Uh, I remember having to wait until I got home that evening, plug that Ethernet cord into my compact. No, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and check the email. I would read her email. My heart would melt because she would tell me how much she missed me and how she couldn't wait to spend time with me again. And I would write a response email, and she would get that response email the next morning and she would write me back the next day and so I never have to wonder whether or not my wife really loves me or what her motives are because she was rocking with me when I was taking the bus before I had any money like before I had anything like I never have to wonder like can I trust her or anything like that because I can trust her because she was tested with my love when we were in our early stages of getting to know each other and sometimes we want a text message relationship with God where I can shoot off a text message and God can respond to me immediately. And sometimes God is looking at you and wondering, how bad do you really want what you've been praying for? Because if you really want the thing that you've been praying for, you'll learn how to come to early morning prayer and you'll learn how to walk the floor and you'll learn how to get a prayer through and you'll learn how to talk to me and it won't matter to you how long it's taking you to get through to me or how long it's taking me to respond to you. Sometimes we live in a technological culture that has convinced us that the speed of communication that we currently have is the reality in which we have a relationship with God. But I'm here to tell you, it's not. And I remember, old, I remember. I remember, now this is, this is, this is like, this is kind of hood, kind of ghetto, I don't know. I figured out as a teenager that you could call 411 and get the weather. Anybody remember this? Anybody? Anybody remember calling 411? And it would say, you know, beep. It is, it is 4.03 p.m. in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the weather is 72 degrees. Beep. 
The time, the local time is 4.04 p.m. And it is 70 degrees. Anybody remember the weather? Anybody remember? I would call 411. I'd give a girl my phone number. I'd call 411, and I would just stay on 411. Because if the phone rang, this is like talking to girls late at night, right? This is how I broke the rules, because I wasn't allowed to be on the phone past 10. But I would get the cordless phone, call 411, and wait for the beep, beep, the dial tone to switch. And I would switch over, and I'd go, hey, girl. And she'd go, yeah, I was nervous about calling your house so late because I know your parents typically answer the phone. And I would go, it's okay. I figured out a way for me and you to communicate. And can anyone remember the days where you were talking to someone and all of a sudden you're pouring your heart out and then you hear... And you realize that the last 15 minutes of you bearing out your soul meant absolutely nothing because this person has fallen asleep with you on the phone. And can we be real? There are moments where I'm trying to reach God. And I hear a on the other end. And you know those moments where Jesus falls asleep? are the moments that test whether or not you have a real relationship with him. Because if I'm just in this for what I can get, if I'm just in this and this is an interchangeable person and I don't really love this person, then I'm going to be frustrated. But there are moments where me and my wife, I remember when me and my wife were falling in love with each other. Man, we would be talking on the phone and she would wake, she would tell me, I woke up with the phone pressed in the middle of my pillow in my face. Because real love is not just I can get a text and you can text me back immediately. My teenagers get frustrated. They call it left on red. When you've read a text message and don't text them back immediately, they live in such a right now culture that has lied to them and told them that spiritual maturity with God can happen right now. Spiritual maturity with God does not happen right now. Spiritual maturity with God is a slow thing. And there are times where it feels like Jesus has fallen asleep on my boat. The disciples feel this way. They're on a boat, on a journey, a storm breaks out, and they freak out because Jesus the Jesus who's healing people and opening blinded eyes and opening other people's ears to hear. The, they, the, the disciples have watched Jesus perform miracles for other people, and now they're in danger. Have you ever felt like, can we be real in church? Jesus, how are you healing other people? And me and you have a closer relationship. Oh, come on, come on. Can you, can you get into the psychology of how the disciples must have felt? I've watched him heal. There was this woman one day with an issue of blood. He didn't even know her. I mean, she was a stranger, and Jesus healed her. She had been bleeding for 12 years. Okay, whatever. But Jesus, we walk with you every single day. We've been rolling with you for three years. I mean, we eat with you and talk with you, and we're in the middle of a storm, and there's no answer. Have you ever felt that way? Come on, I tithe, I volunteer, I serve, and that other person came to church one time, and Jesus, you have totally miraculified their life, and I'm over here just waiting for you, and I'm waiting and waiting 
and waiting and waiting and you are on my boat. I thought we were tight. This is the issue that Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, have with Jesus. Because they send him a message. Hey, Lazarus, whom you love. They got to put that part in there. Just in case you forgot. I mean, this is your boy, the, the one you love. He's sick. And Martha and Mary realize really quick that Jesus is. <sighs> Have you ever been disappointed? Come on, can we be real? This is church. Have you ever been disappointed? This other person got blessed, and I'm still stuck in this boat, and the storm is still raging, and I can't really hear God like I used to, and it feels like God has fallen asleep, and, and I, I don't know how to deal with my disappointment, and I don't want to doubt God because I know that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, and I want to keep my faith, but I feel like there's doubt rising in me because I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I don't want to get discouraged because ah, the Bible tells me to be of good courage and be of good cheer, but, and I've got this inner battle going going on because I can't hear God like I used to and it feels like we don't have a good reception and it feels like I'm in this boat and I'm in this storm and I'm desperate right now and I need breakthrough in my life and I need God to see about me and I feel I know that he's close but he's sleeping and I come to church every week and there's nothing is changing and, and I tithe and nothing is changing and I'm serving and nothing's changing and it feels like God is just <sighs> in my boat, knocked out, and has left me to fend for myself. I've been there. The good news is that eventually Jesus, what? Wakes up. And I want to hinge on this one thing. Jesus wakes up, and he has one question. He calms the winds and the waves, and then he says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? This is a good question. And, and I think that we, we got to not make any assumptions about this question because here's the question. Where is your faith? Jesus makes many comments about faith all throughout the New Testament. Throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he talks about the measure of people's faith. He always says with the centurion, he says, this is a man of great faith, faith that I haven't seen in all of Israel. Then there are other times where he says to someone, you of little faith. Then he says to another, he says, it's a wicked and adulterous generation who seeks a sign. Y'all have no faith. And so there are times where Jesus clearly delineates when he's talking about the measure of someone's faith. He says to one, you've got great faith. To one, he says to the woman who comes up and gets healed from her issue of blood. He says, your faith has made you well. So Jesus is constantly talking about faith. But in this passage, he does not talk about the measure of their faith. He doesn't say anything about whether or not they have great faith or medium-sized faith or small faith. He says, where? What's the location of your faith? Can I, can I give you what I think is going on in this text? Yeah, maybe? Okay, cool. I believe, because I've been in a boat where there's a storm and I feel like Jesus is nowhere to be found. Where is your faith means that Jesus wakes up and watches the disciples and he's watching their faith in the wind and in the storm. Oh boy, okay. Where is your faith 
Because if you can worry, you can worship. Worry and worship are the same thing. All worry is is meditating on a problem. If you can worry, that means you have played a scenario in your moment, in your head, over and over and over and over. All worry is, is worshiping a problem. Worship is, wor- worship is worshiping the solution to the problem. If you can worry about something, you can worship God in spite of the thing that you're worried about. Fear and faith are not opposites. Fear and faith are the same. I can't be afraid of something without having faith in it. See, Jesus wakes up to find them and their faith is in the storm. Are there any moments in your life where you have made up scenarios in your head? Oh, come on. Jesus wakes up and listen, he finds them impressed by the storm. You know, sometimes we're more impressed by what the enemy's doing than the solution that God has. Jesus wakes up to find his disciples not void of faith, but using the faith that they have in the wrong way. They have faith. They have faith that the storm is going to kill them. They have faith that the storm is going to capsize their boat. They have faith that the storm is going to be the end of them. If they didn't have faith in the storm, they wouldn't be afraid of the storm. Do you know that your fear says a lot about what you have faith in? Because we can talk to God about how big our mountain is, or we can start talking to our mountain about how big our God is. But the moment, the moment you begin to talk to God about your mountain, God understands this, the mountain is an idol for you. You have so much fear in the mountain, you have so much faith in the mountain, you believe in the mountain more than you believe in God. Come on, come on, we all have a Goliath. We all have a giant in our life. And all the people who did not fight Goliath had faith in Goliath. They knew, if I fight Goliath, Goliath's gonna kill me. That's faith in something that has not yet happened. You know that, I talk to people all the time. Pastor Manny, I'm believing God for a new job. Okay. Are you going to apply? Well, no, I'm scared to apply because I don't think I'm going to get the job. So you have faith in your own failures? This is crazy. So you've defeated yourself before you even started? Let's get biblical. Because the one thing that Satan wants more than anything, he doesn't want your car, he doesn't want your house. (laughs) I know (laughs) preachers say stuff like that all the time. He doesn't want that stuff. You know what Satan wants more than anything? He wants your worship. This is why Satan got kicked out of heaven. Because he wanted worship. He wanted praise. This is what Satan says to Jesus when Jesus is tempted in in the wilderness. Satan says to Jesus, if you would bow down in what? Worship me. So you know how Satan gets worship from us? He wraps himself up in a storm. Oh boy. He wraps himself up in a divorce. He wraps himself up in tumultuous circumstances. He wraps himself up in unemployment. And by the time you're done with it, you have more faith in the thing that is going to destroy you than you have faith in the thing that can save you. And so many times, God is not asking, do you have faith? 
He assumes that you have it because he's watching you use it. Jesus wakes up and he's watching the disciples commit idolatry in the boat. They are impressed with the storm. Can I be real with you? You have to stop being impressed with all of the enemy's tactics that he's using against you. I have students that come to the altar on a Friday night and I ask them, hey, what are you struggling with? And they'll say, I'm struggling with anxiety. And I say, do you believe that God can take that away from you? And I see the look in their eyes because they don't believe it. They have more faith in what anxiety can do than faith that they have in a God who can take all anxiety away from them. And I begin to remind them, do you know that you serve the Prince of Peace? That God is called the Prince of Peace. That when you make him the Prince in your life, he has no choice but to give you peace. You can have faith in the winds that you see or the word that you heard. What's the word that they heard? I want to go back to the beginning of the passage because here's the deal. If you're in the middle of a storm right now, if Jesus is sleeping right now, if you find yourself impressed with all the things that the world has done, with all the things that the enemy has done, I want to remind you of this. But we can throw the verse back up. This is Matthew chapter 8. This is the first verse. Matthew chapter 8, I think it's verse 22. It says this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side. Wait, 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 wait. So Jesus is over here, and he says to the disciples, hey, disciples, let's cross to the other. In the middle, they get into a storm. They're impressed with the wind. They're impressed with the storm. They have faith in the storm. But they stop believing the word that they heard. If this doesn't look like the other side, then I have news for you. The enemy can't not take you out yet. Oh, okay, okay. We'll try that one more time because I thought you'd run around the church. Uh, if I'm in the middle of something, if Jesus said, hey, let's go to the other side, and then Jesus falls asleep, and now I'm not at the other side, the only thing I need to remind myself is, this does not look like the other side of the lake. Let me look around. Is this the other, is this where Jesus said that we would get to? If this isn't where Jesus said we'd get to, then you know what? The storm cannot take me out. The storm cannot stop me. The storm can't distract me. I'm not going to worship the storm. I'm going to worship the God who said, we're going to the other side of the lake and this is not the other side you know what let me cuddle up next to jesus because if jesus is sleeping let me go to sleep because the destination is already settled in heaven if this isn't the other side of the lake i don't need to be afraid i don't need to be scared i don't need to be shook if i'm in the middle of a storm the only question i need to ask is is this where god said he'd take me because he's the author and the finisher of my faith and until this is finished the devil cannot take me out storms can't take me out Goliath can't take me out there's nothing that can destroy what God has already started in my life every time a storm breaks out the only question you need to ask is is this the other side of the lake because if this isn't the other side <laughs> Let the devil try to take me out. 
It doesn't matter what he throws at me. The devil's not stronger than what God has said is already going to happen. I remember I was on a plane one time. (laughs) I was on a plane on my way to a speaking engagement. I was going to preach somewhere. I think I was preaching in like Connecticut. And I'm on the plane, and God had already given me the sermon that I was going to preach at the church that I was going to preach at. And I remember because he gave me a sermon while I was in the airport. I was going to preach one thing, and I was sitting in the airport. He gave me a totally different message. I was really excited about it, and I knew that God had called me to preach a particular message to a particular audience in a particular location, and he gave me a message for these people, this church in Connecticut. While we were in the air, turbulence broke out. And I fly a lot, so I'm used to turbulence. This wasn't like normal turbulence. This was like roller coaster turbulence. This was like the plane is falling out the sky turbulence. This was like, this is ridiculous. I mean, turbulence, turbulence, real bad turbulence. And everybody else is freaking out. I mean, literally, people are on the plane. I mean, just like, uh, just looking around, asking the flight attendant what's going on because the turbulence wasn't going away. The turbulence was just like heavy. And you know what the Lord reminded me of? The sermon he gave me in the airport. Because if I'm on an assignment from God, then there is nothing that the enemy can do to steal, kill, or destroy me because I carry the assignment that God has sent me to bring. Baby, I'm telling you right now, the best thing you could do is to get in a boat with Jesus because as long as there's an intended destination, the enemy can't take you out. I'm a survivor. Oh, I'm going to live and not die. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not in heaven. No, the land of the living is the earth realm. I will see everything that God has promised for me. I'm not going to be afraid in the middle of a storm. I will cuddle up beside Jesus and take myself to sleep and go to sleep with him and relax. Most of the time, guess what? We get all worked up. All bo- we get anxious about stuff and it doesn't even happen. Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that does that. I create problems in my own head. And God goes, didn't you hear what I said? Before we got in the boat, I gave you a guarantee of safety. Come on, what are the promises that God has spoken over your life? If God's promises over your life haven't come to pass yet, then the storm is just there because the enemy knows this. He can't stop the blessing from happening, so he'll just stop you from getting to where God wants you to be. The enemy cannot prevent the other side of the lake being there or the blessing that's waiting on the other side of the lake. The only thing the enemy can stop is you from determining, I will face. Oh, here we go. This is James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy when you face many trials. What we like to do is when we see a trial coming, we want to do an about face. We're like, oh, that's a problem. Never mind. (laughs) But the only way to get where Jesus is telling you to go is not around the storm. It's through the storm. 
when I face many trials. Why? Because the trial is in the direction of my destination. I travel and speak a lot, and I think in the past two years, I mean, I have preached at probably 50, 60 churches in the past couple years, and it's my dream job. I mean, I love this. I love this. But it means that strangers pick me up from the airport constantly. I mean, almost every week, people that I do not know, that I've never met, pick me up from airports. And uh, I love, Pastor Jason had a little sign that said Manny Arango. Most people don't do that. So I'm just in the airport just kind of like, I hope I don't get kidnapped today, you know. I hope, I hope the right person picks me up, you know. I've been in a car with someone. So one time, you know, a guy came to pick me up with his whole family. That was interesting. His son, his daughter, his kids, his whole family. I was just like, okay, this is nice, you know. One time, a guy brought me to his house, and I was just kind of like, does your pastor know that you brought me to your house? Anyway. And sometimes, you know, I'm in a car with people I do not know, never met them. And sometimes people don't look at the road when they're driving. And, you know, I'm, I'm just at the mercy of whoever's driving me around. And so this is a couple times where, you know, I've been, I've been like, I don't want to come off rude, but I don't want to die either, you know. So I'm kind of like, you know, I, I know I just met you, but could you look at the road, you know. And there's one thing I never do. Seriously. In the past two years, strangers picked me up from the airport to bring me to awesome churches like this so that I can minister the gospel. It's really my dream job. This is what I've dreamed about doing since I was 12 years old. It's an honor. It's a privilege. There's one thing I never do. I never do when I get into some stranger's car. I never fall asleep. (laughs) Nope. I am wide awake. I am alert. I know exactly what's going on. I, I, I can tell, I know when they don't have gas. I'm looking at all types of things in their car because at this point, I'm in a different person's car all the time and I've just, I, I put my seatbelt on and I just get ready for whatever, you know. But you know, when I, I'll go home tonight and probably my wife will pick me up or one of my key volunteers that serves with me will pick me up. The guys that pick me up, one of them's name is Jesse. The other guy's name is Sam. They always pick me up from the airport. My wife picks me up. And I'll land tonight around midnight. I'll get back home. And you know what I'll do when I get in that car? I'll put that seat back, and I'll go right to sleep. You know, there are times where Jesse or Sam, there are speaking engagements that are in North Carolina. It'll be like a two-hour drive or a three-hour drive, or sometimes it'll be in Virginia or South Carolina, and it's like a four- or five-hour drive. And as soon as we get in the car, I'll preach my heart out, and we'll get in the car. And as soon as we get in the car, I'll put the seat back, I'll relax, and I'll fall asleep in the car. You know why I fall asleep in the car? Because I trust the driver. You know why Jesus will fall asleep in your boat? Sometimes we're so frustrated that Jesus is, but you know, what if Jesus falling asleep means that he's comfortable with you? What if Jesus falling asleep means he trusts you? Sometimes we're so upset because we can't hear his voice, but nobody falls asleep with a stranger. And the fact of the matter is that disciples are closer to Jesus 
than he is with the random people he would heal along the way. And the fact that he's sleeping proves that they're close. It doesn't disprove that they're close. You know, so often, as soon as I said, has anybody ever felt like Jesus was falling asleep in the boat with them? Hands went up all around the room. And I want to encourage you today. Because if Jesus is falling asleep in your boat, it means this one thing, that he trusts you. He trusts you. He trusts you. I remember one time I fell asleep, you know, Jesse or Sam, they were driving and I fell asleep. And as soon as I woke up, the Holy Spirit said, see, you fall asleep because you trust their ability to drive. There was one time where Jesse was driving. We were coming back from Virginia. And I mean, rain was coming down on that car. And I mean, we could barely see. And you know what I did? Put that seat back and fell asleep. That's real trust. You know why you can have faith in Jesus? Because this Jesus somehow has faith in you. This faith is not just a one-way street. This is the faith where Jesus says, you know what? I'll fall asleep. In the seasons where you can't hear me all that well, in the seasons where you feel like I'm far, actually you should know that that's real intimacy. And you don't need to run away from me. You don't need to go to some other church. You don't need to like, you don't need to freak out. You don't need to panic. I'm the God that's with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And even if I'm sleeping, that means that I'm what? Close to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're the God that trusts us so much. You trust us so much. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. God, we're sorry for moments where we've like panicked or gotten nervous because we couldn't hear a response from you. God, I declare over this room right now that whoever's in a storm, God, we release your voice to speak peace over every storm. God, when the waves and the winds overwhelm us, God, help us to not be so focused on the winds and the waves that we lose track of what you spoke over our life. God, we call every promise back into fruition. Every promise that you've ever spoken over our life, God, we we're sorry for doubting you. We're sorry that the winds and the waves have distracted us from what you said before we even started out on this journey. God, we trust you. We believe in you. God, right now, I believe faith is rising in the room. If that's you and you're like, man, Pastor Manny, you spoke to me this morning. That's totally me. I'm in the middle of a storm right now, and I have, I've started just only focusing on the winds and the waves and the storm. If that's you, just raise your hand at me. I just want to pray for you. You're focused on the winds. You're focused on the waves. You're not focused on the God who's in the boat with you. You're just focused on the storm. God, I pray over all of my brothers and sisters who are, whose hands are up right now. God, I speak peace over their storms right now. God, I speak, Lord God, that you would remind them of every promise that you've spoken over their life. God, right now, wherever they are, whatever they're going through, God, I don't know their storm, but you do. You know the exact makeup of the storm that they're going through right now. And God, I ask that more, more than that you would just speak peace, God, I ask that they would be reminded of the word you spoke before they even got into the boat. God, we thank you for every promise that you've ever declared over their life, God. We believe that every promise is yes and amen. God, we love you. God, let faith rise up in us again. Like the man who brought the demon-possessed son to you, he said, oh God, help me overcome my unbelief. God, for every person in the room who's been 
feeling unbelief. God, help them to overcome their unbelief. We release faith in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen, amen. Awesome job, awesome job, Manny. Awesome job. Let's give it up for Manny. Amen, amen. So um, on uh, Saturday morning, Manny shared with us that um, he and his wife have been trying to have children for two years now. And so uh, I felt like the Lord told me to pray for him three times. And so we prayed Saturday morning, and we prayed Saturday night, and we're going to pray right now. We're going to anoint him with oil. And so I just, I want to anoint him with oil, but if some of you want to come up and lay hands on him, and uh, we just want, I've got a couple of scriptures that I want to read. And we're going to anoint you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, he, uh, his wife's name is Tia. And uh, by faith, they've already chosen names for children. And uh, I remember Moses, Theo, and Zoe. Theo and Joey. Oh, Theo, Joey, and Moses. Zoe. Zoe. Moses. All right. Hallelujah. Lord, you are good. So this is what the scripture says. He says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in numbers and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then he says, Manny, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. And then he says, God gives rest to his loved ones. And children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children are born to a young man or like arrows in the warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. And then he talks about children being a gift from God. But then he goes on to say that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like a shifting shadow. And then he says, and you can just see this right now, he says, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, that you created my inmost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, I praise you, I'm praising you right now, I'm praising you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful, and I know full well that my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And God, you're about to make something in the secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me, all the days for these children that you've already named, all of the, their names have been written in God's book before one of their days came to pass. And God said to Jeremiah, I knew you, I knew you by name, I knew those children by name before they were even in their mother's womb. So, Father, with those scriptures, the Word of God is life, and we're just praying for, for Manny, God, pray that the power of the Holy Spirit just fall upon him and his wife, Tia, today, God, that you would fill their house with joy and laughter, little hands and little feet, 
Father, little cries and little laughs, and Father, all that goes with the children, the joy of life, Father, fill his house with children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. So, uh, excuse me. So, if you, um, if, if you guys need... Um, We're going to pray individually for these folks. So, um, if you need prayer right now, and I know uh, G.G. 